This morning, I want to talk to you about um, our connection with God, our relationship to God, our fellowship with Him. And I want to go to the amazing verse, Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to read what Jesus uh, said in His invitation to to the weary and heavy laden. Uh, you ever get a uh, invitation in the mail to something special and you need to RSVP it, you know, and respond? It's nice to be invited. I like um, going into places that are inviting, you know. Um, you go to a restaurant where they act like they're happy you're there, or you go in where they're like, oh, boy, now we've got to go to work. You know, there's a difference. I remember when I had that boating accident and the... the uh, Coast Guard called ahead, and then so there there were two teams, one to meet my friend Bayless and the other to meet me. They, he went over in his wheelchair, and I went over in mine, and there were lines of people just waiting. There were technicians and skilled doctors, and I felt, so, I felt like a rock star. You know, I came, I, I didn't feel like, I felt like a beat-up rock star. But anyway, but I felt that invitation that they were prepared, and they wanted to do something about it, and it just did something so assuring for me. And this verse is so deeply revealing of who Jesus is. Jesus is the engaging one. Jesus is the connecting one. Uh, God was in Christ actually reconciling the world to himself. Jesus is not really a religious off-putter. He's the king of kings who comes like a shepherd to retrieve lost sheep. He would leave 99 to go get one of us, right? And in Matthew chapter 11, it says, come to me. And this is what I want you to spend some time focusing on this morning. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And he said, I will give you rest. All the antidepressant medicines, all the, all the you know, ser- serotonin reuptake inhibitors, all the, there's like a flood of it on the market. And the reason why fentanyl is appealing to people is because it's numbing. It's numbing. It's a painkiller. And there's, uh, you know, so much of this, it's just indicating to me that humanity in this modern hour, uh, much like 2,000 years ago in Jesus' earthly ministry, have become weary and heavy laden. Now, he's talking to people that were religious and trying to comply with all the responsibilities to fulfill their observance and... uh, but it also can expand to all who are weary, all who are fatigued, all who are heavy laden. And uh, he said, come to me. You know, I I like King David. And last week I was talking about how he inquired of the Lord. Uh, In Psalm 73, 28, it says in, in that Psalm, it says, but as for me, the nearness of God is my good. Psalm 73, 28. But as for me, everybody say, as for me. Now, there's another as for me verse. Can you remember in Joshua, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And, you know, we don't really have a lot of control over others around us. So this is is a thing of invitation to us as individuals. And I think if we actually do this and we come to him, uh, we'll be better off for it, you know, because he says he's going to give us rest. And... uh, As for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. You know, uh, 
there's so many references to David inquiring of the Lord. And what it tells me is that we're not to be on autopilot. We're to be uh, on, a, on an incremental, moment-by-moment, second-by-second, circumstance-by-circumstance event, uh, always going to the Lord. And to me, it's an acknowledgment of him. We, in all our ways, we acknowledge him. Instead, instead of in all our ways, we ignore him, right? And our, uh, our, these are expressions of David's dependence on God and David's love for God. And uh, David was a man after God's own heart. And, uh, you know, any believer really aspires to have that. Wouldn't that be a great title to have over your life, male or female, that you would be a person after God's own heart? And um, this is sort of how we do it. Jesus is saying to these people, come to me. And uh, I love this, you know. In the garden, uh, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, the Lord did what I suppose he was doing all along. He was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, looking for connection, longing for fellowship with Adam and Eve. And it got severed by sin. Jesus is coming to take away the sins of the world. And this is a prophetic verse that applies to us on an ongoing basis. For the Jewish people of his time that were in the harsh pressure of trying to fulfill the law, uh, uh, now for us on this side of redemption, we're still to come to him, right? And uh, in fact, James chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, uh, is a classic example of this. James chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, uh, it, it's about our yielding to him and our coming to him. It's, it's, it's really breathtaking, really. Submit, therefore, to God... Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Look at this. This is what I want to get over to you. Draw near to God. Everybody say that. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Is that one of the most fantastic promises in all the documentation of the scriptures? That God is looking for an invitation. He's given an invitation, and he's, he's longing for and calling, drawing us to himself. God wants us to connect with him. That appeals to me. That's what, you know, one of the cultural distinctions of our church. A new, uh, we believe you must be born again. And in that new birth, there is this wonderful um, elimination of the barriers that, that hindered us from connecting with God. And then on an ongoing basis, we're to draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, right? So that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. How many of you have ever needed mercy? Mercy on the job, mercy in your marriage, mercy raising your kids, mercy with your finances, mercy with your own personal thought processes, mercy on the occasions when you lapse and fail. You know, the righteous fall seven times, there's the Lord picking us right back up. He's the glory and the lifter of our head. Isn't it marvelous? I wish people knew our Jesus and understood the, the, the Savior that's modeled here in Matthew chapter 11. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will, I, will, I will put so much more condemnation on you. I'll point my finger at you. I'm angry with you. He doesn't say that. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, a peace, a settledness, a confidence. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Here's an interesting statement in 2 Chronicles. Let's go back to the Old Testament. 2 Chronicles chapter 15. This, let's explore this in, in, uh, in the ancient times with uh, 
the prophet Azariah and, uh, and, and the king Asa. And uh, it's, it's, it's really powerful, these first four verses. And it says, Now the Spirit of God came on Azariah, the son of Obed. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. The Lord is with you when you are with him. Did you hear that? And if you seek him, he'll let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For many days Israel was without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. But in their distress, hallelujah, they turned to the Lord God of Israel and they sought him and he let them find him. Such was the case, I'm guessing, at the chapel service at the college there in Asbury, Kentucky in the last couple of weeks where they were having, you know, they have three, the kids are obligated to go to three chapels a week. I've spoken at chapels at, at Christian schools, and it's a funny thing. Kids have to sign in, and uh, I even knew one kid who had his friend sign him in. And he was cheating, he had to repent of that. He was telling me, he was, you know, I thought, yeah, it's good you repented because you can't be doing that. And uh, so it's an obligation-ish type thing. And I don't know, uh, you know, what, what transitioned, except that I do know a young man got up and confessed his sin. When he did, it triggered a, a sincerity. It, it triggered an inclination toward God. It caused a, the hearts to break before the Lord in a real healthy way. And for two weeks, they were moving in that. Then it started to draw all kinds of media attention and people started flocking there and then it, the, the uh, leaders were wise to say, we're not stopping revival, we're just not going to have it here anymore because we don't have enough bathrooms and we don't have enough to account. And these kids, they're here to go to college and they, been, they missed two weeks of school and they got to get back to work, you know what I mean? So the wisdom in that, but what was fostered there is uh, if you seek him, you'll find him. And that, I think, is an uh, overlooked step in true revival. And we all, how many of you, you want to be revived? I want want spiritual CPR in my life every day. I want Jesus, because he's the glory and the lifter of our heads, and that's the part that needs the lifting the most. Lift up the hands that hang down, but lift up your head and worship him. And it says, if you seek him, he'll let you find him. Isn't that great? It's, he's, not, he's not hiding from us. He's hiding for us. And he's available to us. And so, man, you, you look in the New Testament at this, and you read, uh, you know, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'm going to give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I became a Christian in the Jesus movement. This is what compelled me. It wasn't harshness. It wasn't browbeating. It wasn't condemnation. Uh, it wasn't candy coated either. It, it, it was just the truth of the gospel, good news message, that a Savior had come to redeem us from our problems, from the pit. And I didn't even know what all I needed to be redeemed from, but the Holy Spirit was dealing with me. He convicts the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And boy, that prompting, no one comes to him unless he draws them. 
the Father's dealing with people today. He's dealing with us. And then he was, Jesus was speaking to the religiously observant, uh, uh, hardworking Jewish people trying to comply with the law. And he says, look, you guys, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And I think about the imagery of a yoke. And uh, it's, a, it's an apparatus that, that a beast of burden, an oxen or a, you know, a, 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 a horse or a donkey can put their neck in. And uh, you get a couple of them and, and it'll help uh, draw, pull a plow behind it. And uh, the, the, it equalizes the, the stress and the weight and the pressure and the workload. Well, when you get in the yoke with Jesus, he, uh, he does a lion's share of everything, doesn't he? His shoulders are broad. You know, when you, you slip in with Jesus for the rest of your life and say, I'm going to get in your yoke because you said it's easy and your burden is light. And it, it's light because you look down sometimes and your little hooves are just dangling off the ground and Jesus is doing all the work, right? Isn't that the truth? It's like, boy, this is hard. Life is challenging. Oh, wait a minute. Never mind. Thank you, Jesus. Right? And uh, this is what imagery is here. And the idea of come to me. Uh, the Spirit of God came on Azariah in that verse, the son of Obed. And he went out and met Asa and said to him, listen to me. Listen to me. I feel like God is saying this right now. And, uh, you know, Jesus said this on another occasion uh, in Matthew where he said, uh, in, in Matthew chapter, oh, I think it's seven, where he was on the great day of the feast. And uh, he said, uh, where is that verse now? 37, is that right? Uh, what, what verse am I looking for now? Oh, this will be good if I find this. I wrote it down in my notes. It'll be good, it'll be good. No, John 7, that's why I was in the wrong, wrong book. John chapter 7, everybody with me? You got just a minute? We've got just a few minutes here, and I want to get this point over to inspire you to draw near to the Lord and inquire of the Lord about everything. If I were an attorney and I was in court, under my breath, I would be inquiring of God every microsecond. If I was a dad and I was dealing with my kids, I would, under my breath, be confessing favor, praying for breakthrough, Believing God for wisdom. As a pastor, I want to pastor supernaturally. So I'm, I, I, I'm not on autopilot. And I, I know pastors have never pastored in, the, in my lifetime through anything like what we've experienced. And I've talked to other pastors. And there, I had a little convergence with some wonderful pastors of really amazing ministries. And we all had the same feeling like we've never passed this way before. But isn't it good and great that we can inquire of the Lord, and that as we do, and as we check in, he'll give us wisdom, right? He'll give us guidance, right? It's so good. It's good to know this. It's good to know this. When, when perplexing circumstances come your way, it's good to know John, James chapter 1, verse 5. We can, we can come to him, and we can say, Lord, I need wisdom, and I'm drawing near to you. And you know, by the way, Last time I checked, the best part of our Christianity is Jesus Christ and a relationship with him. And that's the part the devil can't have and he hates. And I think that's what he's chipping away at on, the, on each Christian all around the planet all the time. He hates us being connected with God. He hates that we inquire of the Lord. He hates it. And so, 
you know, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. The best way to resist the devil is by submitting to God, actually. We get in spiritual warfare, it's like yelling and rebuking devils. We should rebuke the devil, and whatever we bind on earth is bound in heaven, and I don't want to downplay that. But what I really do majorly want to upplay is that we're to be worshipers of God more than rebukers of devils. We're to be preoccupied with him and come near to him with our our praise and worship. Come near to him with our tithes and offerings. Come near to him with fasting and praying. Come near to him with our concerns. Come near to him when we fail in sin and confess it and repent. Come near to him with bold confessions of how good he is and how thankful we are for him. Come near to him with his promises, right? So we stand in faith for this and we believe God for this because he invites us to do so. He's inviting us. It's upon his invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And by the way, in the Old Testament and Chronicles where it says, you forsake him, he'll forsake you, I'm happy to announce to you that in Hebrews, the 13th chapter, in the last part of the fifth verse, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In the Old Testament, David said, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And in this age we're in, I'm telling you, we're in a better covenant inaugurated on better promises. This doesn't give us slack. This doesn't make us apathetic. This shouldn't make us complacent. It shouldn't make us sloppy or lazy. It should make us grateful that God is present to help in the time of need. Hallelujah, right? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. You know, Psalm 55, 22 says, Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. We saw the terrible uh, events in Turkey, and I was talking to somebody that's in the know and has friends that live there, and... Uh, they say it's the, the death toll is far higher than the news is reporting. It's terrible. And uh, Dick Mills years ago pointed out that, that in Luke 27, 11, and there will be great earthquakes in various places. I knew when I was a young kid, I was a student of, of history. I was born in San Francisco, and I got born again right near L.A. So there was this thing I became aware of as a young Christian that simultaneously... When the Welsh revival hit, I went and preached in Wales when I got out of Bible school and, and, uh, and had, had a wonderful interaction with Welsh people. What God had done, I, I studied about the, what happened in Wales and the coal mining communities and how God had moved so mightily. I also studied about how the prayer time in, in, uh, on the uh, famous Azusa Street uh, out, Pentecostal outpouring, uh, 1907, 1904, 6 uh, this period was there, God was moving all over the earth. There are other places that we weren't reported, but it was all, you know God was moving. But concurrent with that, there was a terrible, terrible earthquake in San Francisco. And uh, Dick Mills talks about how revivals seem to parallel natural phenomena. He said occurrences in the natural world are usually accompanied by similar events in the spiritual world. The San Francisco earthquake happened at the same time that the Welsh revival and the Pentecostal outpouring of Los Angeles occurred in 1906. Now, 1905, my grandmother's dad, Paul Caldwell, died at the operating table of an ether overdose. It precipitated that she and her two sisters would be uh, having to grow up in a convent. So uh, they had, you know, there's trauma and shock waves of all types going on all around. And, um, but I think this is interesting, that natural shaking and spiritual shaking, shaking go on at the same time, says Dick Mills. He says in this verse of Luke, we are told of great earthquakes, which will happen all over the world in these last days. 
Haggai 2.6 tells us that heaven, earth, the sea, and dry land will be shaken, and God's house will be filled with glory. In Ezekiel's valley of dry bones, a shaking took place as bone was knit to bone. In the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah, a great earthquake occurred. Uh, we read in Amos chapter 1, verse 1, that, that recorded time is built around events happening prior to that earthquake. When Moses received the Ten Commandments on the mountain, the mountain quaked. When Jesus died on the cross, the whole earth shook. On the resurrection morning, yet another earthquake took place. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26 and 27 promises that prior to the coming of the Lord Jesus, there will be more earthquakes. In fact, those verses say that there will be a shaking, but we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Hallelujah. And uh, perhaps reading prophecies about the uh, earth shaking uh, to the first service is uh, not necessarily your way to start a new day, but, but with nat- the natural comes the supernatural. The good news is the Lord is stirring his people. The good news is his church is being jolted out of its lethargy. Uh, Old, antiquated, and obsolete traditions are being shaken to the very foundations. This shaking has to take place before we will accept new things God has in store for us. And in reality, coming through this uh, global pandemic has been a shaking. The, the, you know, the, the, the economy, the, the upticks of the, the uh, interest rates and the issues, the volatility of the markets, and now there's discussion about food supply and so forth. Um, yet we need to, when we see these things, not be fearful or wring our hands, but come to him. All you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. There's that terrible earthquake in Turkey. Simultaneously, there was an outpouring not only in this college in Kentucky, but other colleges as well. And we'll see more and more. And as the world goes darker, we'll see the light shine. And But what do we do as individuals? We get serious about God. We come to him. And this is my message as I close. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. This is really the best part and most wonderful feature of our lives. Let's just take it every day, every minute of every day. Let's start our day. Let's end our day. In fact, the Bible says in one verse, uh, morning and evening sowing, you should do both because you don't know which one's going to bear the fruit. So there's the idea that as far, when do you do your devotional? All day, every day, 24-7, right? And, and, you know, I'm not advocating religious fanaticism. I'm advocating deep devotion and personal relationship with God. Totally different. I think that's the result to me, the leadership. I prayed that morning that last Saturday about that revival there because I could feel I knew it's going to be encroached upon and it's going to be manipulated by man. And so sure enough, this, the leaders took charge and made a good decision. And I believe that the, there's this uh, beginning precipitation uh, that's going to go all around and we're going to see um, a great outcome. Hallelujah, right? Let's all stand up on our feet. It's 9 o'clock. This has been good. I like this message. I have a lot more about coming to Jesus, and I I told you to turn to John 7, so we'll finish with this on your feet. Now, on the last day, the great day of the feast, John chapter 7, uh, that I thought was Matthew 7. Now, on the last day, it says in verse 27, John 7, 27, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, look at this, if anyone is thirsty, let him what? Come to me and what? He, come to me. 
Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. You remember when he was walking on water and Peter was in the boat? And what did Jesus say? Lord, if that's you, bid me come. What did Jesus say? I'm telling you there's something about when Jesus says come. And Jesus is saying come. And I think that that obligated chapel where the students had to walk in and sign in and go in there and they sang the songs they've typically been singing in between their classes and kids that are, you know, some of them wanted to go to Christian school. Some of them were probably forced to go to Christian school by their parents. Who knows? You know, some of them, I don't want to be here, man. You know, those, that might have been one of the people that got up there when I do want to be here, Jesus, you know. And that's revival. Revive, say, revive us, Lord. He is faithful to do it. And, and so I, I'm just, I'm excited. He said, and he, said, he said, come to me. If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And verse 38, he who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his or her inner being will flow rivers of living water. I love that we're planted by one of the greatest waterways in North America. That's the pathway that Lewis and Clark took to go and, and all the way out to the West Coast, the Missouri, the big, beautiful Missouri River, right over just, just about a mile as the crow flies from here. And, and just surrounded by, we've got Bonham Creek over on the other side of that levee. I mean, I like the, uh, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And that a river moves so it keeps it from being stagnant. And uh, so the Lord will help us with this living water, right? Living water flowing out of your innermost being. But this, he, was, he spoke of the spirit. So the parallel, it's not really a, a literal water river. It's a, it's a flow of the Holy Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Let's lift up our hands. Say, I'm coming, Lord. If that's you, bid me come. I'm drawing near. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I'm desirous. I believe you can do a great work in me. Jesus' name, heal me and I'll be healed. Save me and I'll be saved. Demonstrate your power in my situation. I cast my burden upon you. You said you'd sustain me. All the weariness, all the fatigue, all the overburden. I'm in faith for a great outcome. Faithful is he who calls me. He'll also bring it to pass. In the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. Read your Bibles. Pray. Seek the Lord. Spend time with him. Have a good afternoon. God bless you guys. Enjoy your breakfast.